Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remixed, episode four, Old Cases. As always, I'm joined by Robert Sapp as we discuss episode, as he's on the line, episode four, season one of The Wire on this Sunday afternoon. I hope everybody out there is doing well out there, enjoying this, you know, trying to enjoy this nice weather outside. Um, old case. This is the, of course, fourth episode of the season one. Vulture ranked this episode 34 on all-time wire episodes ever, which is kind of surprising considering that it was 10, 10 spots ahead of last week's episode, which was 44. But um, very good episode. Uh, it was directed by Clement Virgo. And the epigraph is, it's a thin line between heaven and here, bubbles. No, he didn't say between, he said tween. That's how he pronounced it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it be. That's a crackhead with no tooth would, you know, would do. <laughs> might, might miss a couple bees. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was our buddy Bubbles. So you open this scene. One of the funniest opening scenes, maybe in the history of the show, you have Herc trying to move a desk. And these, this is like not a, uh, this is a full grown desk. Trying to move a desk inside of Daniels' office. He's trying to move it in, while the other officers, they're trying to move it out. So Herc, Herc is on one side. You have Carver and uh, Daniels on the other side. Dan, Carver and Daniels are pushing out He's pushing in. So a couple of minutes go past. Um, everybody's tired, wondering, you know, what you know, what's going on. Freeman's just looking back like these idiots the whole time. Probably I'm surprised he didn't start laughing. I would have started laughing. Um, then Herc says, you know, I've been trying to get it in. And then McNulty says, in. And then at that point, everybody's like, look, man, come on. Like, like, really, really? You're trying to get this in? <laughs> so that, that was um, vintage Herc. And really, you know, it was, a, it was funny, but had a, definitely had some meaning to it, meaning within that scene, even though it was like two minutes. Just basically saying that, hey, the police cannot get out of their own way, their own way. Um, so that definitely was metaphor, uh, had some metaphors within that. What do you think about that opening scene? Yeah, uh, it's definitely hilarious. I remember the first time I saw that; it was hilarious. Um, but yeah, I, like you're 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 right on point. Like it's it, it is analogous of the ineptitude of the department as depicted by the show at this point in time, and then also um, it sets up uh, Lester Freeman very very well. Um, especially throughout this at what what we'll come to learn about him throughout this episode as he's just you know he's he's just watching he he has the right answer he could let him know but nobody's asking him anything yes. uh, if anybody was to ask him he could he could potentially let them know what they're doing wrong um but yeah no 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 one's even no one's even thinking to ask him um and also when i was watching again I was just looking at how everybody except for Lester just does, 
just gets up and does. Nobody looks at the entire picture first and then decides to act. So I thought that was also a, a nice setup for not only this episode, but what's going to be needed in in uh, in the coming coming episodes. So you have Polk and Mahone are in are in the hospital. Of course, last previous episode, Polk, I mean Mahone is the one that got uh, knocked down by Bodie. He's in the hospital with Mahone, with uh, with Polk. They're they they are they are drinking along with Daniels. Mahone says he's 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 done. Uh, he's going to take the the pension, which is like sixty six and two thirds pension. He also has some business venture with his brother, with his brother on 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 some uh, video video store. So he's like he's I'm done. Um, Daniels semi tries to talk him out of it. He didn't go all he didn't go all in in terms of trying to talk him out of it. He just basically say, hey, think about it. Um, when Daniels leaves, Mahone tries to get Polk uh, to join in with him to go to go out with him by throwing himself basically down the steps. <laughs> and Polk, Polk basically says, you know, come on, you know, I'll break my neck. Um, so you have. Now, basically, almost the beginning of the end of some of the dead weight in terms of the detail. Um, Polk and Mahone, you know, Polk, they, you know, as, as, as bad as they were, they were, a, they were a team. So, you know, Polk and this, you, you tell the body language about Polk, he's like, you know, I don't want to basically, you know, I'm maybe, I don't know if I can do this uh, without him in terms of with some of the, you know, in terms of his facial expressions and what have you. And he actually, Try. He actually thought about throwing himself down the steps, which was hilarious. It was hilarious in itself that McNulty and Greg's McNulty and Greg's were not paying any attention, penny, paying any, paying him any mind over during the course of that, <laughs> during the course of uh, him basically almost trying to throw himself down the steps. So, any thoughts on this quick scene with uh, Daniel's Polk and Mahone? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I don't think there's any maybe about it. Like, he literally says he can't do it without him. So his road dog is gone, um, and he's on this detail that he doesn't want to be on. And, uh, you know, I mean, like, both of them are cooked at this point in time in their careers anyway. Neither one of them, whatever they were, they definitely aren't now. Um, and so, like, that's, you know, the scene just kind of, like, illustrates that to the, to the nth degree. Like, not only does he not want to be here, he doesn't want to be a police anymore. I mean, he's very willing to throw himself down the stairs and, and, and hurt himself. And um, what I took from Kima, Kima and McNulty kind of like just walking by, it was just like, it's kind of like uh, the, it's the other side of not noticing somebody's there, right? Like they don't have any expectations of, of him at all. And so basically he's just not even, he's just not even going to register on their, on their mindset. All he's doing is coming in, into work drunk every single day so you know it's not even like looking at looking like that i i'm trying to think if this was exactly in in that scene um or yeah i'm just trying to remember if this was exactly in that scene but it also uh kind of sets up a transition uh oh no 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 because i'm thinking about the throwing down the stairs scene specifically um yeah anyways uh so just just i'll skip just not even skip but just going to the throwing down the stairs connecting those two 
um, scenes together, uh, you know, kind of blends this episode um, as well, connects this episode as well, because this is a very, very transition episode, right? Like, this is now like the beginning of what the wire is going to be. And so to your point, getting rid of all that dead weight, like, you know, like this is about that bum squad that that was just a bunch of screw ups is about to morph into something else. Yes. And this is the beginning right here. Yes, no question about it. You have Kima and uh, McNulty in the courtroom. They are trying to flip Marvin Brown, who was arrested during that uh, last episode when the pit got raided. And um, they're trying to flip him. He, he basically says, they basically, uh, they're trying to flip him and he he's not going for it like they they he's going he's willing to do the five years they try you know one they bring up avon barksdale's name they bring up webay bring up a bunch of names stringer they bring up a bunch of names and he just is not going for it at all he says i'll do he says i will do the five years and keep it moving um they thought at the beginning of the scene if you if you saw this for the first time you thought that they might get some out of them when they look when they when the judge and uh, the uh, the prosecutor was going for the uh, five years and said that he they were looking for the full sentence, but at the end of the day, he was not he was not going to flip on on Barksdale. He does he says so. He comes out and basically says, "You know what? I'll do the years." What are your thoughts on this courtroom this courtroom dynamic? Yeah, I mean McNulty basically says it like when he gets back to the uh, to the. Um, to their office he's like Barksdale carries more weight than we do it's just that simple um so yeah it just it just kind of sets up the power of uh Barksdale and the weight that they carry he he's he's there's no way he's gonna flip because he knows the consequences no question about it it would certainly not he would not this, this would not be the last time that you saw this that character in this season he 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 would you know there was some, some things uh, that you will see uh, you will see playing from down the road. Um, Bodie breaks out of ju- juvenile hall um, rather easily, oh. and it's like when I first saw this, I thought to myself, like, is would it really be that easy to break out of a juvenile hall? But considering you know, the, considering the system, considering I you know these this is not like lockup and regular regular jail. Didn't find it after you know watching it a couple times and, and over the years didn't find it that outrageous compared to the first time I watched it. He breaks out, steals a car, and of course steals a car and, and, and goes back to the pit. Were you surprised how easily he was able to just get it, walk out, basically just walk out the place without anybody noticing him? I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's hard or not to break out of juvie. Fortunately, I've never had to be in juvie, so I have no, I have no idea like what what the system looks like, but. I definitely know what the show is trying to say about it. And what the show is trying to say is that, uh, that it's either, no, no, it's a prior episode. I believe when they're talking about like none of the kids will flip because they don't think juvie is anything. And so this further illustrates that point of um, there's no need for any of the the younger kids to you know even be remotely worried because the system as stated by the show 
um, is not very uh, intense in any type of way, or will be uh, be will be able to incentivize them for uh, to to flip. And then I think also it also again kind of like illustrates or starts that that beginning building block process of um, Bodhi and like the way that his mind works and his ingenuity in its in itself um you know the 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 guards the guards might have uh, a system for checks and balances but Bodhi's not going to be contained in there um and then last part is uh he asks is any west side in there uh so he's also fueled by desperation and the guard says nope just a bunch of dc boys so he's also worried for his own safety as well. So he's extra motivated to try to figure out a way to get out of there. So you got those three components coming at the same time. So you have Kima and Bubbles uh, looking for Omar basically, and Bubbles tells Kima about um, they're riding around. Bubbles tells Kima about Omar's brother, No Heart Anthony, who, by the way, who she had no clue about. And you have, you know, basically just shows, you know, Bubbles just basically shows how many, how long Bubbles has been on, been on the street and how, you know, how just connected he is as far as just knowing just everybody. It kind of amplified, continues to amplify that. Um, Kima doesn't, doesn't know uh, Omar's brother, um, doesn't know Omar's brother and basically, and Bubbles basically, uh, you know, mess, uh, basically makes fun of her for, uh, for not knowing, um, but not knowing No Heart Anthony, who of course is who of course is uh, Omar's um, older brother. Uh, any thoughts on Bubbles in this scene? Yeah, um, you know, like this is one of the things where kind of like my background knowledge with the Wire kind of comes into play a little bit because um, uh, David Simon, yes, David Simon has said uh, a bunch of times that. Um, one of the big pieces for him was, um, the, the idea of knowing a place versus not knowing a place. Um, he'll explore that further in like season five, but, um, but the idea that you police that like when, when policing was policing in his, in his opinion, it's when people really knew the the neighborhoods and really knew the cities and so um it's a greater commentary on the new breed of police that are coming in um and their effectiveness at po policing when they don't know everybody um but in a very small way this is kind of like the chink in Kima's armor right now and the thing that she she just needs to not chink in armor that's that's too harsh um this is just a blind spot for her right now and something that that she just needs to add, add to to her repertoire and um and he's illustrating that through through her uh that she's she's definitely not on the other end where uh she doesn't care like her about any of this stuff right um but also she she's not she's also not familiar enough with the territory to get as deep as what will be necessary in order to take someone like Avon down. No question about it. Um, 
So you go, so we go to Omar Bailey, Omar Brandon Bailey. Uh, Omar criticizes Brandon, who's his boyfriend, about saying his name during the uh, robbery. Um, now we find out why he was so critical of him because he doesn't want Brand, he doesn't want people to come back on him, on Brandon. He's not worried about, you know, he's not worried about people coming at him because he's been robbing for years out here. And, um, you know, it speaks to Omar being just calculated, you know, being this kind of like chess master and calculated and not wanting any mistakes during the course of a robbery or during the course of when he's, you know, doing what he does. So you have those three out there and Bailey decides to leave, decides to leave and go, his, go across town to see his mom. Omar tells him, hey, man, keep it close. You have a dope fiend come up with a baby. And Omar get, hooks her up with, with some drugs, hooks her up with some drugs out of basically out of, you know, just being Robin, Robin Hood-like. And, you know, you see, you see Omar's power within that area, you know, to basically tell a drug, a drug dealer, that, hey, hook her up. Uh, so you had that going on as, as well. You finally found out, if you hadn't seen the show before, that, that Omar, we officially find out that Omar is gay um, during that particular scene, uh, during that scene as well. So a lot going on in that particular scene, uh, some payoff from, uh, in terms of, the robbery, some so, some payoff from that, and as far as him chastising Brandon, what did you thought? What did you think about this scene? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because of like it's his package, and it kind of like lets us know what. Well, I mean, it's not his package; it's the package that he stole. But now that kind of like lets us know like how Omar, why he does the dangerous stuff that he does, right? Um, uh so that's that's one that's one piece to it um the second piece is uh i asked a question why didn't omar like last week i asked a question like why didn't omar you know uh in in the in the character sense you know kill everybody in the room and now i, I remember why this hasn't been a question before because he answered it the very next episode he just says i'm not worried about me um so that just shows like how fierce he is and how much his reputation carries um even at this early point like that kind of like illustrates like oh 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 wow like he like like if if Barksdale and his group is set up as the biggest baddest group in this series um up to this point and Omar doesn't care if they know his name or anything like that then um then how how tough is Omar um and so I think that's a that's a nice way to say that. And then of course we as we know it's gonna set up something big that's gonna happen in the in the in later episodes when he's saying, I I don't I don't worry about me. Um I'm just worried. I don't want it to come back on y'all. Uh so yeah, it works on the scene works on a lot of levels, of course. Yeah, bubbles get transferred uh to McNulty. McNulty uh gets bubbles from Kima and both both Bubbles and McNulty uh, mess with well, McBubbles does uh, messes with Kima based on the fact that she didn't know who Nohar Anthony was was. And when Bubbles asked McNulty, McNulty not only knows who he is, he knows the 
who he's related to, the apartment number. Like he basically noticed this dude's, you know, shoe size. I mean, he knew. So to your point, this is why McNulty is McNulty as an effective police officer, because his ear, he does know, he does, he did, he did, he comes from a, a breed from that old style policing of knowing the post, knowing, you know, the neighbors, knowing, you know, get, being, able to, being, able to, being able to acquire information because, uh, because his ear is to the street. Um, he gets Bubbles, and then, of course, Bubbles comes up with the famous, not famous, with the epigraph line. It's a thin line between heaven and here. Not at that point. He didn't say it at that point. But no, this is what Bubbles said. Bubbles says, where in the, where in the, where in the world, leave it to Beaver, are you taking me? Where in the, something to that extent, as McNulty is driving him to a soccer Where into leave it to Beaver land are you, you know, taking me? Yes, where, yeah, yes, thank you. <laughs> Leave it to Beaver, which was before my There's time. only a few people right now who even get that reference. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, very few, I'm sure. <laughs> very few, as a, as a old show. Um, he takes Bubbles to uh, his soccer, his son's soccer game, which of course he's late for. Uh, we we finally we get introduced to McNulty's wife, and we and 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 get a get a look inside their situation. Uh, McNulty, she's of course annoyed by annoyed for, annoyed at McNulty, McNulty for being late. He wants more times with more times with his kids. Um, completely lies to his kid about seeing a goal that his kids prepared to score. Um, she and they, him, McNulty and his wife go at it, go at it about uh, time, about the time spent with the you know, with the boys. And he want, like I said, he wants more time. She says her lawyer doesn't have to give him more, and then they go. And then she basically brushes off bubbles as he tries to shake her hand, which, uh, you know, can't blame her. But, um, yeah, the difference, you know, bubbles, they, they go through that. And McNulty then drops bubbles off. When he drops bubbles off, then bubbles says, it's a thin line. It's a thin line between heaven and here. At, 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 at about the time he's about to drop him, as soon as he's dropping him off back in, uh, back in the projects. So what did you think about that scene and the epigraph uh, and the epigraph as well? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's not super subtle what they're, what they're stating here, but, um, you know, it's something that we all see and notice that in the same city and sometimes within a very close proximity blocks, um, it can look very, very different. And um, I think that, that, you know, that, that will, again, the, uh, you know, with the scene and like with the epigraph and like with everything that, that uh, they're put into this and as big of a proponent as, uh, as um, the creators are of knowing the city and understanding the city, you can see how uh, a situation like this where uh, on one end, Baltimore looks like it's literally crumbling, and then on the other end, they're playing soccer games and, you know, uh, for for lack of a better reference, leave it leave it to Beaver. Um, you know, how can those two things exist at the exact same time? Uh, is is kind of like a theme that the that the show will explore. Um, through, throughout throughout its, its run, but 
I, I, I think for any of us that, that have experienced that, and I can't imagine how many people haven't experienced that in a, in a, a you know, quote unquote urban city where uh, within blocks, it can look very, very different. And I think Bubbles is doing a really good job of pointing that out. And those entire, that entire scene structure was doing a really good job of, of, pointing, of pointing that out. Yeah, it also lets you know, I'll give you some more insight on where McNulty's priorities lie. I mean, he's late for the Sun soccer game, um, you know, working a case. Like McNulty is about the job. He's about the work. And I think they, um, he, the job consumes him. And, you know, you look at like that, I mean, that's a, one of the major reasons why, you know, his, his life, his, uh, his uh, marriage is in shambles. So I gave you some insight on that as well. Um, so you have D'Angelo, Wallace, and Pooh in the pit. And now, and Bodie as well. Um, Bodie has just broken out. Get he uh, gets you know gets out. Of course, it has just has just broken out of, of the juvie home. He gets back, and he uh, D'Angelo laughs at him, and basically Bodie says, you know, you would still me if I was you, you still be you would still be in there. So then this you know this triggers D'Angelo to basically try to prove how tough he is, and he lies to he lies to them about shooting Avon Barksdale's girlfriend who was going to. Uh, go to the police because you know because she was just jealous of his other girlfriends and what have you, and so he tells a story about how he comes up came up to an apartment building, she's inside naked basically with a robe on, nothing on nothing under it, and he's outside and he's you know he's you know he I mean again classic just a classic lie, I had the four or five they know I got some creep to me, and you know Wallace and Coot are taking this in they're they're like they're fully it's fully taking this in i was not sure i'm not quite sure that bodhi completely bought that story to be honest with you what what did you think um this is uh, so two things one is set up in structure so it was setting up the classic scene that that's going to happen between bunk and um, McNulty, because he basically explains how he did it, and then Funk and McNulty later on are able to do it with just uh, one word. Um, so that setting up there, and then to to your point, um, Wallace and Poot absolutely are eating up anything D'Angelo says. Um, Bodie is just. Uh, Skeptical, and I, I I I agree with I agree with you. Um, uh, I I found it interesting though in watching this scene. It's just like you know, in the the last in in the episodes building up to this, um, D'Angelo is kind of like the big brother, the mentor, and in this one, um, he really reverts to kind of like that that you know. Uh, or, or I should say, he's a mentor in the other episodes, and now he kind of like reverts to like older brother, but only by like a year or two, where he's like he's got to make 
something that honestly shouldn't be talked about at all. Um, he's got to make it sound. Uh, he's got he's got to impress them. Um, and so that that was just like this that real interesting dy- dynamic. And if I'm thinking about this episode as like a turning point episode, like where it starts to shift, then that's like a definitive shift for D'Angelo's character, which will lead to different things that that are cut that are coming on. And that um, he should not care about their approval, but he very much cares about their approval, which is not something that someone in his position and if he wanted to get to the space uh of avon of stringer bell that's not something that is necessarily uh a good thing so so it'll be interesting for me to follow and kind of like explore that as we watch these episodes i found it curious that at the end of the story at the end of him telling the story he asked Bodie asked him what happened and Wallace responds, he shot him and he shot her. And I found that interesting, interesting because I know that, I mean, I, it's, it's evident, way evident that Bodie is way more street smart and savvy and tough, tougher than Wallace and Poot put together. I like, I don't think he was asking, I, I don't think he was asking him that not knowing what had actually happened. I just think he, I just don't think he believed it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think I think that's exactly what that scene wants you to believe. But then as you were talking, you know me, I was starting to think about the deeper meaning of it. And then I wonder if also what's going on is like, um, like say it. Like you, you're talking all this big stuff. You're saying all these big things. So say Say you shot her. Say it. Say it. Since since you led us all the way up to here, um, you know. And then like, like again, like you 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 kind of identified very early on, you know, D'Angelo's um, inherent uh, weakness for the game that he's playing or for the game that he's in. And uh, there could be like, as I'm thinking about it right now, you know, argument of you know. That, that just kind of be like Bodie smelling a little bit of blood in the water. Um, you, you're saying all these big things, but you can't say the words of what, of what you did. Are you hard enough for this? Um, anyways, anyways that's, that's probably looking a little bit too deep, but I agree with you. That's exactly what the scene is, is trying to say, is that Bodie, Bodie's not impressed. <laughs> wow. Wallace and Poot impressed, Bodie not impressed. So you have Herc and Carver go to Bodie's grandmother's house. Now, leading up to that, they're in the car, basically telling, you know, uh, living in their own pipe dream, so to speak, saying that they're gonna bust Bodie, and then he's gonna spill all the beans, and they're gonna break the case wide open. So they're living in their own fancy, from that standpoint, um, still seeking respect between the two of them. So they go, now at this point, Bodie is already, well, no, they actually drove Bodie was actually trying to hitchhike and they actually drove, they were driving in, of course, in the other direction. Um, they were driving in the other direction while Bodie was hitchhiking. They go into the grandmother's house. Before that, they're cursing, you know, as if his grandmother was a, you know, a criminal. Um, they get in there, go through the house, up, go upstairs and what have you. Herc 
uh, Carver says, you know, tell Bodie we're on his ass. He leaves. Herc remains and apologizes to the grandmother about cursing and how they came into the house. She asked him to, and throughout the whole time, the funny part about this scene was the grandmother, as they're going through, grandma just sat down and just started folding clothes, like, okay, you, you, he's not here. You're not going to find anything. Doop to doop to doop. I'm just going to fold these clothes and keep it moving. So she's going about her business. And when Herc leaves, excuse me, when Carver leaves, you have Herc. Um, Herc stays around to get more insight on Bodie. He gives on Bodie, the grandmother says, you know, tells her about, you know, his story in regards to his mom, you know, was out there doing drugs, how angry he was. And um, basically, you, you know, to, to, to your point earlier, just got some more insight on the, on one, uh, on one, on the character of Bodie. And uh, Herc, of course, then, um, then leaves, um, then leaves uh, the grandmother's house. So for one moment, for one scene, you had Herc and Carver basically, you know, playing opposites. Normally it would be Herc that does something incredibly stupid and then gets no information. This time you had Herc actually, you know, maybe he didn't even know what he was doing. Maybe he just luckily stumbled into some information, but you have Herc at, you know, playing the kind officer and the communication uh, to the, you know, and getting some more, getting some, I think, somewhat valuable information, somewhat, somewhat insight on Bodie. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we, we definitely learn a little bit about, you know, why Bodie does things that he does. Uh, and then I think also it gives us, you know, like, like you can't make one dimensional characters, right? Like, like Hurt can't always be the a-hole. He can't always be the, the dumb cop, right? Like, like that's, that's not a human being. A human being's not always this every single time. Um, and as I was, as I continue to watch The Wire, I'm like, you know, you talked about Omar being gay and like, um, we, like the, we'll talk a little bit about how like the episode ends, but like, this was like, and this was in the early 2000s. And none of these things were, were, um, were, were earth shattering news because the characters were so real. And that just kept coming up to me. And just like, if you make real characters that feel like real people, then, um, then who they are is not the big story. It's how they operate in, in your, in your world. And so, um, as I was watching that, I was just getting like a great appreciation for the amount of time, effort, and energy they thought about making these characters feel like real, real people, um, creators and, and actors and everybody, everybody else involved. And so, um, and so up until this point, Herc has just been the big, dumb animal, stupid cop who just wants to beat on people. And I think this gave him another side like he the character in that moment realizes it was unnecessary to come banging through the house and yelling and screaming and everything like that that's a woman just trying to fold her laundry um and she poses no threat of danger danger to anybody so there's a very human element of that and then like like you you also uh, you also stated like the difference between like the kind of like that role reversal. Um, Carver's usually one that can look a little bit more 
um, and have a little bit more sympathy. Um, in this case, she, Carter was outside talking, didn't care about anything that was going on in there and was like legit, like hurt, like what, like what, like why do you, why, what were you doing in there? Um, and so, uh, and so yeah, I, that, that was, that was an interesting dynamic. But again, I just think like moments like this is what actually make The Wire um, stand out from so, so many, many shows. No question about it. Um, you have Landsman and Raw's. Um, Landsman goes into Raw's office and tries to convince Raw's to let McNulty back into detail. Um, tells, you know, he tells a funny story about him, you know, thinking of McNulty about to, you know, you know, when he's about to jerk off to a, uh, you know, and McNulty just all of a sudden pops up to his head and goes and goes and basically goes in circles for a couple of minutes before getting to the point of, you know, it's, I don't even say going in circles because it was a build up to that story. It was a build up. I thought Rawls was starting to get a little impatient and say, what's your point? But it was, he, Dansman was not going in circles. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct myself on that. It was a build up to how he was, you know, discuss, talking about Minoti in, in terms of telling that, that story. Um, basically just giving you more like insight on McNulty, like McNulty for all his faults is a great cop. And basically he, you know, his, his faults actually, some of his faults actually make him a great cop. And I think he gave you some insight on that. And Rawls basically says, okay, he can come back if he wraps up this detail in like two weeks. So you, um, and the fact that, well, Landsman's angle on this is the fact that his 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 unit is understaffed at this point. So not only you know, not only does he want his best cop back in the union, he just wants he just needs bodies at this at this point. What are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, when you take this scene with the soccer scene, it kind of sets up McNulty's character, right? Like, like he and then then when you add in the Lester scene, what we'll be talking about in a little bit. It's like this idea and the, and the wire brings this up all the time, but um, they, they introduced this notion really firmly in this episode of what's real police, what's real police. Um, and so uh, uh, it, it, I'll, I'll, I'll stay, I'll, I'll keep it a little bit shorter cause I'll get back to it with the Lester part. Um, this is, McNulty's best characteristics make him a great police, don't necessarily make him a great person in life. Yes, yes. So we have Freeman, yeah, Freeman and uh, D'Angelo in the pit. Um, well, D'Angelo was in the pit. Freeman was it was out, was in the car observing D'Angelo. He notices that D'Angelo, you know, he calls a number. He calls D'Angelo's pager, and not knowing that that not knowing that that was D'Angelo's pager, but you know he this is from an earlier scene in the uh, earlier episode where during the raise uh, Freeman saw a number in the wall uh, in one of those homes with the number with the number and with the uh, with the letter D on it. So Freeman took down you know again showing Freeman's attention to detail and not missing anything. He wrote down that number. He calls that number. D'Angelo uh, sees the number flash up on his pager, and of course, D'Angelo calls um, calls back the number, 
calls back the number and then Freeman gives Freeman all the confirmation uh, that he needs to figure out that that that, that was D'Angelo's uh, pager, uh, that that was D'Angelo's pager, pager number. Just, you know, just cla uh, classic, just police work by Freeman. This just shows you what, you know, how his mind works. And again, that was a detail that no one else came up, came up, uh, came up with out of those raids, which, you know, which basically were meaningless. Those raids were meaningless outside that outside that detail, outside that Freeman that Freeman pool. Though that was the raise that they basically got no drugs, you know the cop got knocked down, and that was the raise that was forced upon them by Burrell and the powers that be. Uh, what were your thoughts on this? Was should D'Angelo have called that number back, not knowing there had to be a number that was unknown? That was not like Stringer or somebody calling him. See, you gotta remember how pages work though you get you call the number and um i mean you you get beat and you call the number back so it could have been anybody coming calling from that phone should he have called the number back of course he shouldn't have called the number back knowing what we know and then knowing how careful the higher ups are but as we've said many many times that this is not d'angelo's strength right. um at all uh so um it makes sense that he he is consistent with his character that he would call that he would call that number back and not be thinking not be thinking anything about that more importantly though it shows freeman and like to your point um when you said uh police work it's like oh like he's being a detective an actual uh active detective who is trying to do move the case from one place to the next not what this case has been up until this point which is just get a couple things so we can get the judge to go away. Um, he's actually starting to do work, which is again going into that theme, um, at least for me right now, that this this is now the shift of not only this investigation, but what this squad will will ultimately become. And it will become about the the casework. It will actually come about working a case and actually being a detective. And so that's that's what that's kind of like what what I took away from the scene. So they get back to the detail. The detail begins. They start talking about cloning pagers. Freeman, of course, alerts the uh, the entire detail that he has that he's made a connect with uh, from with uh, D'Angelo's number to D'Angelo's. You know, has D'Angelo's picture, and now he puts that on. You know, put, that gets put on the board, and basically, you know. He, along with McNulty, basically says it's going to be, well, I mean, I would say Freeman even more so than McNulty says that this is going to be an exhaustive process. And we're in for basically, basically saying we're in for, if we're going to do this, we're going to be in for the long haul. This is going to take some serious police work in order to get this done um, in terms of the, the cloning, of, in terms of the pages and all the, you know, and he breaks down. Freeman mentions that. When you start talking about wiretapping and pages, that it's going to be a lot of it's going to be a lot of work, and so I think Freeman is basically sending uh, sends them a message to the rest of the detail. This is what it, you know through that pool of D'Angelo. This is what it's going to take if you want to make hay in this in this uh, particular case. Yeah, I mean, like the like everybody there who's actively again. This is the shift. Now we're starting to see. Who were the who were the really the active participants? Uh, Kima, McNulty, and uh, Freeman. A, 
they're laying the baselines like we have a a very um concrete uh a picture of where they'll end up these characters but at this point in time in the show we don't know where they're going to end up and so they're all also laying the foundation of who these characters are um and so uh all these all those characters about the police work we know that they they they've laid those seats all through throughout this this episode and so like i'm not throughout the episodes up until up until now again this is really really about spotlighting uh freeman um this episode and like how valuable he'll become because up until this point in time remember freeman's just been in the background so we we didn't know we we had inklings but this really really shows um that that he's he's a beast and so uh and so yeah so it's it's kind of like it's not only setting up the fundamentals of the investigative squad that will ultimately get things moving but also setting up the fundamentals of our characters who will follow who are about that real policing life so you had um so we move now to the probably the key scene of the entire episode um McNulty and Bunk go go back to the uh, to the crime scene. Now, leading up to this, you had Landsman basically saying, making a connection, saying, you know, you need to check this. There was a person who said D was spotted. It was a there was a D that was spotted at the scene. And at first, McNulty is reluctant to to even think of, think that there's even any remote possibility of a connection between D, you know, between that and D'Angelo. Or that in a D, that that in a D, not D'Angelo, but that in a D, that um, between that name and the person who was at that crime scene, he was reluctant. Bump talks him into it and basically says Landsman is right. So it just showed you some some, some skill from Landsman. Um, they go to the crime scene that was six months old inside the apartment of where uh, of Avon's, you know, one of Avon's girls where she was shot. And basically break this scene down, break this uh, this scene, this crime scene down from tit for tat, uh, using the word fuck. Uh, they find shell casings. They find a bullet inside the fridge, inside the wall. They uh, show you, you know, where the angle, you know, the angle where the shooter was shooting from. Uh, it was a, again, a masterclass in, in terms of how to dissect a crime scene. And they find and again that was a major break in the case to find the shell casings and find out that you know again another layer to the Barksdales like how real these dudes are that they they're not messing around uh, that they're not messing around. So, um, what were your thoughts on this scene in terms of um, them using the word "fuck" that was the only word that was used throughout the whole scene, which is brilliant in itself. And how they broke down the crime scene from from start to finish. Yeah, uh, you know, like like it's it's a masterclass in 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 scene in everything. It's just a masterclass, in my humble opinion. Um, and I was trying to think of the technique, and I've seen it used in uh, rehearsals for a lot of different things, but in particular comedy. Um, but also this it's like an acting technique. And so like, I was like, Oh, what, what is this thing called? And from what I 
looked at, it's literally just called one word, like where you use one word to invoke all the different emotions, right? Like invoke happiness, invoke sadness, invoke, you know, anger, invoke joy, everything like that, you know, like two, two actors just using one word. And that's, that's how, uh, that, that is a, that is a teaching, uh, uh, you know, I'm probably using the wrong, um, language, but that is a, uh, uh, a training exercise that actors use for lack of, lack of a better, better phrase. Um, and so, uh, you know, like, like seeing, seeing that scene for, I don't know, the upteenth time now, um, I could really just sit back and appreciate how, uh, they played off each other and how they are able to reconstruct the details of the story through their own language um, uh, and through, through one particular word. So that was just awesome just to sit back and watch. Yeah. It, I mean, it's just, just like, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy, and enjoy that. Uh, I think going back to like what you said, um, I do not think Lance, Lance, what's his name? Say his name again. Lanceman. 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 I don't, I don't think he knew anything. I, I, this doesn't show anything about how good he was. I think he wanted to dump a case onto McNulty's, McNulty's load and McNulty said something about D and then there was a D on this. He had no idea. And furthermore, when they get to the scene or when they look at the casework, they, the detective dog, the case, didn't care about it. And then when they get to initially to the scene, it's like, oh, nobody's done anything with this, basically. Nobody's even cared about it, which then sets up McNulty and Bunk and how good those two are at their job. You know, again, that kind of like that, that theme of, uh, of this, you know, these are two supremely effective detectives, which is also bolstered by the fact that Landsman went in and even though he knows Jimmy is on uh on his captain is it captain is on his captain's ish list right now um he, he is too part. good at major yeah major major um is that he's too good of a detective not to not to have working cases he's just it just it just it doesn't doesn't make sense because he's that he's that good and then also uh landsman says that you know the things that make mcnulty a horrible person are the things that make him a great great detective so it's further cementing like that that idea of um you know, the things that probably make you great for this job, as in, as we see where our characters are at, who are very good at this, are probably the things that will hold them back as people in life. And like, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you kind of uh, deal, deal with that as well? Larger things that will play out over the series. I don't want to go too deep into that right now. But, um, you know, just a, just a brilliant scene, just to sit, like, this is a scene where if you don't know anything about The Wire and don't want to get into all of the heaviness that is The Wire and all of the, 
the subtext and it's everything like that. This is a scene where I you could just play for somebody and just be like, this is a good show. <laughs> if at the very point, you're going to get lots and lots of scenes that are just good to watch, period. Yeah, and this was definitely one of them. Uh, now, leading into that scene, well, during, at the beginning of that scene, before they enter the house, you have uh, McNulty asking uh, Bunk about Lester, basically saying, hey, he showed me something this afternoon. Um, and Bunk basically tells McNulty flat out, like, Lester's natural police, he makes more off those miniature doll houses or whatever than what you make in probably your entire salary. And, you know, he says, well, McNulty says, well, what does he, you know, what did he do? to get, uh, you know, you know, why is he in our unit? What do you, you know, what's, the, what's, what's been his issue? He said, go ask him. And that leads us into the uh, Freeman McNulty meeting where Freeman basically comes out, comes out, they meet at a bar, but they go to the bar, McNulty buys some drinks and Freeman lays out why he was detailed to a pawn shop for 13 years and four months. And he emphasizes that four months. McNulty says 13 years and four months. Freeman finishes that, finishes that off. And basically Freeman says, um, listen, I was, doing, I was doing police work. Powers that be didn't want me to basically finish a case. Um, didn't want me to finish the case, do the case the way it should, should have been done. And he, they asked me where I don't want to go. And he said, I don't want to be in-house doing paperwork. And they sent him to a pawn shop. And him breaking down the tedious, tediousness of being in that pawn shop would be like, just was, it was torturous to even the, as a viewer listening, imagining how boring that could, how boring that could have been uh, when you've been used to being, you know, out in the street doing real police work. So he was in there 13 years, four months. And I, I think that he sees a lot of himself, a younger version of himself in McNulty. He's trying to tell McNulty, like, look, if they ask you where you don't want to go, keep your mouth shut. Because they're going to ask you. You're going to get asked. Because he's McNulty, because again, Freeman's given them, Freeman has seen this movie movie before. He sees how rogue, rogue, how McNulty is as a rogue, a rogue cop. And um, and he sees, and this is, he sees, you know, he's trying to give him some advice on what to do because he's been down this road before. Um, just a brilliant scene and perfect with the music, Miles Davis, kind of blue. So it was just it, like, I just, you know, a just a, a perfect scene, and, uh, um, very extremely well written. What are, you, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, uh, so Freeman and McNulty, again, like, like this is definitely not Bunk and McNulty. But knowing where the series will go, this, this was a nice, nice gem. This was a nice gem. Um, just watching them just kind of like sit down and talk, talk with each other. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like, like, it's absolutely just laying so much groundwork for not only their relationship, but further things that's going to happen. Not, not even in this season, but seasons to come. Um, so it's, it's a meaty scene if you want to dig deep into it, but mostly, like you said, it's just, it's an old vet that's, that has tried to do, you know, in his mind's eye, 
tried to do it the right way, tried to do the right thing and got burned by it. And he's just trying to let Jimmy know. Like uh, he sees, he sees you, you in your mind's eye uh, or in McNulty's mind's eye, he is doing what is right by pursuing this case to its ultimate conclusion and getting who he has identified as the person to person to get. But in the process, he's pissing off a lot of very powerful people and particularly very powerful people that have direct influence over his day-to-day day-to-day work. So he's trying to, you know, it's just the old bet trying to give him some advice because he sees the path he's walking and he's, and, um, and Freeman has walked a similar path and has, has ended up in a place he didn't want to be. So he was trying, but like so many of us, you got to learn, you got to learn the hard way. You got to oh. learn, learn it your own way. Um, but yeah, that was Freeman, Freeman trying. He tried. Yeah. Um, really kind of, you know, they, really the beginning of their relationship. I would say this scene kind of really. Yeah, it's the, their first talk together. Absolutely. Yeah. They yeah. hadn't talked up until this point in time. He didn't know anything about Lester. So yeah, it, was, it was good to kind of see that again. Um, and you had the, the episode ending with McNulty going to uh, Kima's. Uh, after that, he's, he's drunk. He goes, knocks on Kima's door. Kima's uh, girlfriend answers the door. Um, and uh, she, you know, she gets Kima. He thanks Kima. Thanks Kima uh, for earlier. And he, you know, basically is drunk, is drunk out of his mind. And, you know, Kima, you know, Kima was semi-surprised that he showed I think she was semi-surprised that he showed up. Um, Kima, I think the important part of that scene is what Kima said to her girlfriend and basically describing the Delta as being, you know, uh, lonely. Um, so that that's how the episode wrapped up. Yeah, and again, like, like <laughs> the wire is groundbreaking in a lot of different ways. Um, but I think again, the, when I connect, like Omar, uh, uh, this this ending scene, and you know, there's a lot of at least from from like what I read when I when I'm when I'm reading things about like TV shows and movies and stuff like that and being and having characters who identify other than um uh uh straight or other other than um white or other than whatever you know, not being non-typical characters then um you know, there's always so, so much discussion that goes into it and, and who should do what. And as I was watching this show, and particularly watching this episode, uh, again, it just struck me to just like how real the characters just feel and how, however they all individually identify, which are very, very important parts of them, um, that it is just like a part of them, and um, and each of these characters are really just like really well well flushed out, and just the the level of detail again, it's just appreciating just like the level of detail to to create just characters that feel like real life human beings that are um, 
multiple and messy and intelligent and all the different things that go into being being a human being uh, in this world. And particularly, um, this episode does a nice job of setting up the idea of this is how I am at work and this is what I need to be at work to be good, but also the thing that I need to do at work to be good is also not very good for me as a person. They're just starting to explore that and set that up. And so, um, again, just just very authentic detail of uh, people, uh, which I really, really appreciated watching this episode. One one scene that, we, that I missed um, before we get into uh, grades and MVP of the episode, um, Avon Stinkum Weebay Stringer are in the gym, uh, basketball court or whatever, and they put the hit out on Omar and his gang. So they they put that hit out on, Avon puts that hit out on him, puts like $6,000 if he sees him before he gets got, 4000 and, you know, 4000 um, you know, if he killed, yeah, six thousand. It was yeah, it was six thousand. If he sees him before he gets killed, four thousand for just outright killing them. So they're on the hunt uh, with those four. Stinkum tells a story of you know he jailed with uh, one of uh, another character that we haven't been haven't seen yet. One of uh, Avon's other hitters, Bird, in the um, jail with him, and he found out that Avon, you know, he said Avon had a whole stable of boys, which they didn't which. Uh, at first, Avon didn't believe. Then Avon, Avon said, "All right, we doubling down on Sweet Lips <laughs> for six thousand. And they go out there. We they, you know, Weebay says, "Hey, we got people. We got people on it." So uh, they put the hit out. They put that hit out on there. Put that uh, put the hit out on Omar and company. Then they also Stringer. Once Stinkum and, and Stinkum and them leave, you have Stringer and Avon having a conversation about what's going on in the pit. Uh, with D'Angelo, and he, Abe Stringer flat out says he might have a problem that he doesn't know about. So that that's going to be a setup for some things to come as well in regards to, and the reason why he asked him, he said that is, he mentioned that because, you know, the cops jumping out, how did how did this, how did, you know, Omar even know about where to stash, stuff like that. What were your thoughts on that scene? Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting, right, because we know it's not true. We know nobody's snitching in the pit. The reason why things are happening is because the police are investigating Avon because he keeps beating them in cases. And Omar robs drug dealers. He just scouted out the entire, the entire thing. But as in um, a lot of criminal organizations or depictions of criminal organizations, it, the truth doesn't actually matter. The fact of the matter is they believe something is going on in the pit, which is going to lead to distrust. And um, D'Angelo, right, right now, will D'Angelo be able to do anything to change their minds in this episode? We know, we know it's it's not gonna it's not gonna go well, uh, but. But that's 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 kind of like part of the part. You're like, uh oh, everybody's thinking. Like as you're watching the episode, you're like, oh, everybody's thinking something's going on in the pit. 
D'Angelo, you need to do something about this. Um, but it's it's not gonna it's not gonna turn out that way. Yeah, I'm thinking that this is probably like the probably like the first time that they've been robbed like this. So this is like this is new. Like he, you know, this is Avon Barksdale here. This, you know, this you know, he's you know, this dude is feared all over the he's feared throughout the West, you know, West Baltimore. Everybody knows his name rings out. So I think that he took it as like you know, this is he. I mean, the reality of him getting robbed probably, you know, hit him in a way of like this is just, this is not supposed to happen to me. This is like this, like you know, this some some must be a myth. Some like you said, there gotta be a snitch or somebody. Some something catastrophic has had to happen for this to happen. Besides, Omar just robbing. I mean, also the you know they're the like the the hoppers, the the people who work it. They talking too. You know, it's just that it's just when you're running a organization that exists on all the negativity and all the deceit and distrust that is you're going to be your currency like you're automatically going to go to those things all the time because that's that's a part of that's a part of the game also i i I think we do need to mention that that's not actually the big setup in this the big setup is when um omar uh not omar when um avon tells all of them that he wants whoever gets got outside of Omar displayed. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we know how big that's going to play into the, into the episode. So that's actually probably what the scene is there to do, is to set up what's going to happen later, later on in the episode. I mean, later on in the series. Yeah, good, that's definitely a good catch. He, uh, he mentioned that I, w- I want whoever gets got, I want them put it on, put on display. He says, comparing it to like when white people, you know, kill a deer and hang them up. So he wants, he, yeah, he wants a message to the courtyard sent out to everybody, the courtyards, the pit, everybody that this, you don't do this, you don't do this to me. So he, not only does he want to, he wants to kill him. That's just not enough just to kill him. He wants to, he wants to send a clear and distinct message on, um, you know, this is just not, this this is not going to go down like this. Um, so yeah, that yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. That that definitely is the, is the setup, is the is the bigger of the, of the setup. Um, MVP, who do you think who's the MVP of this episode? I mean, uh, I, I I've I've made mine clear. I think throughout throughout this entire conversation. Um, so uh, it's Lester Freeman. Sorry. Um, the, yeah, it's Lester Freeman. I mean, yeah. this this is this is episode. I mean, top to bottom, um, we learn how good he is. We learn why he is where where he is. He got the he 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 got the setup number for uh, the whole Barksdale uh, investigation by getting D'Angelo. It's Lester Freeman. Yeah, no, it's Freeman. I, I agree. It's, it was a it was a Freeman episode. Uh, from start to finish, really, from start to finish, um, from the time they, you know, were, lat- were looking at, from the time he was looking at Hurt, trying to move in the desk, to the time, to the finishing, to the conversation with um, with McNulty. Um, yeah, yeah, I think he, you know, getting back to the chess, you know, when we, did, when we talked about the chess analogy last week, last, yeah, last week, he sees the whole board. Yeah, he does. He, he sees moves ahead of moves. So 
he's not just focusing on the present. He's focusing on, okay, this, this is going to lead to that. That's going to lead to this. And I think he, he embodies that perfectly with the, um, in terms of being, like, in terms of a, a chess master. master. So, um, no, it's without question that it was, it was his episode. Um, no, uh, no Perlman this episode. Uh, you didn't have too much. You, you, I mean, you had some Daniels. Um, you had certain, you had some Daniels, but again, this was, this, this was a, this, this was a police, it was a, it was a Freeman, you know, a Freeman McNulty, Freeman McNulty uh, uh, type episode. Um, and I think, I think I liked about this episode is just how much, just how much it, like, it wasn't last, you know, last episodes was, I think, faster in terms of pace. This episode was like a bunch of like, 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 it was a very detailed late episode as far well, as it was, a movie, it was a movie episode it was a like you said it was a transitional transition episode. yep yep it's kind of like what you thought the series the wise genius in this right like what you thought the series were going to be or what you thought the season was going to be shifted from the first three episodes it's just a bunch of people bumbling around trying to you know a bunch of misfits um trying to you know figure it out um and then uh this this shift definitely it's like okay this is going to be something different um and a little bit more complex like this is the beginning of like oh this isn't going to be in um and uh and uh what's the creator's name? I just want to make sure it's David Simon, right? Simon's great, yeah, David Simon. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Cause I David Chase just kept popping in my head. I'm like, am I confusing him? Like, no, David Simon. Um, he said it multiple, multiple times, right? Like, like people up until this point in time, when you said police people, it was just a procedural, it was law and order. Right. You get a case, sure, you yeah. figure out a case, you know, and then it goes to trial. And the judge rules on the case. It's a procedural. Boom, boom, boom. Like all, all the LA law, all the different, you know, the, the things like that. And so that's what the series was trying to uh, give you the sense of in the first three episodes, kind of, kind of, or, or was not, not playing by those, those rules, but that was just giving you kind of like the essence of that. And then this is the time where they start to flip it and start to be like, no, we're actually going to be talking about some really um, intense thematic stuff. Not only is this about the drug game, but this is actually about a decay of a city or, or the moral complexity of a city. And no, not only is it just about the moral complexity of the city, but it's actually going to be about human beings. This is actually going to be a human being story. It's actually not going to be a whole bunch of, um, of uh, you know, this is all about the drugs, but this is actually going to be about um, how human beings interact in this world and how the, um, the toll of, um, the, the toll of doing this job uh, actually expresses the human person and how, human beings like figure all this out 
Um, and we're not actually just going to fo focus on the cops and the lawyers. We're actually going to then start pulling those, some of those themes on populations who have been villainized um, throughout the, the other context. So they're just starting to layer the depth and complexity of what we will know um, the wire will become. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it, it, this, this, this was a episode that, yeah, you did, you know, you had episodes before this and episodes after this, this was the, this was the, uh, definitely the moving episode. Um, and from that standpoint, I, I have to give the episode an A from that standpoint because of how many just, you know, detailed pieces it had the Freeman, McNulty conversation, the, the fuck scene with, uh, Bunk, Bunk and Minnoti, um, Freeman's transition, or Freeman, or you know, letting us know who Freeman is, you know how. You know, so I definitely, definitely love this episode. And again, this you're about to see what real police work also looks like to what police people actually, what police people really do, versus what we've seen on, like you said, traditional television. You're gonna see what, you know, get some real insight. Um, you're going to get some real insight to, uh, to that. Um, great episode. You, you mentioned, wait, really quick. You mentioned yeah. this is the this the episode rank. Did you, was there also a grade for it? I didn't hear you say the grade. Maybe I missed it. No, they just, Vulture Magazine had just had it ranked. They didn't grade it. Okay, no grade. Okay, all right. They didn't, no, they didn't grade it. They just had it ranked. They ranked it uh, 34 out of 60. Got it. So. And, and Vulture, yeah, Vulture liked it too because they was ten. They had it ten, like I said earlier, they had it ten spots above the previous episode, uh, which was forty-four. So they they liked this episode as, as well, though you know it's only the fourth episode of the entire series. Um, so Vulture had it ranked thirty-four out of out of sixty, and um, again a lot of setups in in this episode um, as we move towards next episode episode five uh next week anything else you want to add before we head out that's it that's it i think we covered this really well yeah yeah no like excellent episode uh looking forward to um the next episode and again the thing about the wire if you watched it you know even if you watched it a million times it is it is it is a it is a puzzle that's piece by piece by piece like things you can pull out things in this episode, things that can happen in this episode, you can easily, you're gonna to connect to last episode, to episode two, to episode one, for that matter. I mean, and that's, you know, that's the brilliance of this show. Like there's no stone left unturned when it comes to a scene. I mean, we pick out certain scenes and we really could, we literally could break down every scene as far as every scene is important. You know, I try to pick the most important ones, but every, every scene, there's something in every scene, even the ones, were just you know with even like the beginning with that was just we figured just to be comedy it was something to be said with that you know with uh hurricane hurricane what have you so looking forward to it as always thank you so thanks robert sap thank you very much surreal be healthy be safe no question see you next week later
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.